The vulva and the vagina are self-cleaning. This is the nice part about it. They don't really require much in the level of input from you. They're set up perfectly to take care of themselves. So the vagina has uh, a really complex set of organisms within the vagina that keep the vagina healthy. They keep the pH, which is the acid-base balance of the vagina at the right level so that you're less likely to get infections. And the vulva is actually very similar. The skin is set up in such a way that it creates a barrier to bacteria so that you don't get infection. So the very best thing to do is very little to nothing because it's already set up in such a way that it doesn't require any maintenance. Walk through any drugstore and you'll find a whole aisle dedicated to feminine hygiene products. There are wipes, cleansers, washes, and so much more. But do we actually need any of these products? To learn more about optimal vulvar health, care, and cleaning, I spoke with Dr. Laura Jacques. We talked about how to care for vulvas and vaginas, what products are safe to use, how vulvar health can change with age, and more. From the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's HealthCast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Laura Jacques to the Women's Health Cast to talk about vulvar health, care, and cleaning. Thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, thank you for having me, Jackie. I'm, I'm glad to be here talking about this important topic. So as we're leaning into this topic, I thought a good place to start would just to be to clarify some language, um, because sometimes I feel like vulva, vagina might get used a little interchangeably, and they're not necessary. They're they're not at all interchangeable. Um, so, what is the vulva? What are we talking about when we say that? Definitely, and that's actually a really good question because I'll, I would say the majority of people don't really recognize the difference between the two. And the vulva is the outside skin, so the skin that you can see when you look into a mirror. And that is what surrounds the opening to the vagina. And the vagina is the skin that's on the inside. The vulva has a couple different parts to it. So um, what some people call the uh, lips of the vulva are the labia. And there's the labia minora, which are the smaller part, um, with usually without the hair. And then there's the hair-bearing areas, which are the labia majora. And, uh, and that comprises the, the vulva, which is the outside. I wanted to talk to you in particular kind of about care and cleaning, um, and I'll, I watched sort of a social media dust up about a company who was marketing some products toward younger people, um, and it, may, it made me kind of curious. I don't know that I've ever really been officially taught that, like, assuming fairly normal health on my part, how should I be caring for cleaning my vulva? The vulva and the vagina are self-cleaning. This is the nice part about it. They don't really require much in the level of input from you. They're set up perfectly to take care of themselves. So the vagina has uh, a really complex set of organisms within the vagina that keep the vagina healthy. They keep the pH, which is the acid-base balance of the vagina at the right level so that you're less likely to get infections. And the vulva is actually very similar. The skin is set up in such a way that it creates a barrier to bacteria so that you don't get infection. So the very best thing to do is very little to nothing because it's already set up in such a way that it doesn't require any maintenance. The healthiest thing is really just to rinse with plain water. 
you can do that either just in the shower. Um, you can use a handheld shower on low power on lukewarm water, or you can sit in a bath if you prefer baths, but ideally a bath without any soap or any other products in it because um, the tissue is sensitive and can be irritated by other products. If you are gonna use a soap, so if you do need to use some sort of cleaning, you really wanna do that only externally, never inside. And if you are going to, you wanna use a soap that doesn't have any color, it doesn't have any fragrance, um, that's gentle or for sensitive skin. Uh, Cetaphil is one that you can find on the market that is gentle and um, you can use just a small amount of that if you need to. Uh, Vanna Cream also makes a, a soap that doesn't have a lot of additives. So one thing I noticed you did not mention is um, products that are kind of marketed as feminine hygiene products. And so I wanted to ask about those those types of things. Are they safe or beneficial for kind of the vulvar vaginal environment? Yeah, thank you for asking me that. This is one of the things that I tell my patients often. Uh, you really want to steer clear of all of those products. They can affect that delicate balance within the, the vagina and the vulva that are protecting you and actually make you more likely to get um, an infection or um, to have discharge or an allergic reaction, uh, a rash. And they're sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, these products. So you might use one to keep yourself clean. And then what happens is when you use it, you throw off the bacteria inside and you might actually develop an infection. And then you might think you need more of the product. So then you buy more of the product, which sort of snowballs and worsens everything. So the very best thing to do is to avoid all of those products. So you kind of mentioned this like snowball effect of starting to use it, maybe causing some irritation or problems. I was curious if I guess those sometimes those using those products can lead to some issues or irritations. Yeah. So uh, women are particularly susceptible to getting something called bacterial vaginosis. If you use these products, the pH of the vagina is set to be acidic, to be less than 4.5 and to have a lot of lactobacilli, which are organisms that protect and keep the vagina healthy. And these products can kill off the lactobacilli, change the pH of the vagina, and allow overgrowth of other types of bacteria, particularly Gardnerella, um, which can cause bacterial vaginosis, which is a condition where you can develop irritation, kind of a thin gray discharge um, that smells sort of fishy. And it is, it's not infectious. It's not something that you can give to anybody else, but is caused by a disruption of the normal environment in the vagina. And, and one of the things that can do that are these um, so-called feminine hygiene products. We've talked about cleaning and like what kinds of soaps or cleansers are safe to use, what kinds of products are not safe to use. And that started making me think about like garment choice and undergarment choice. I feel like I've definitely read the like white cotton underpants are your best bet. Those are the only underpants you should ever be wearing. And I'm kind of curious how much our garment choice can affect our, our health, our vulvar health and vaginal health. I think a lot of it depends on whether or not you are more likely to be prone to uh, irritants. So some people have more sensitive skin than others. 
kids, older women, same thing with less estrogen. They want to be more mindful of using cotton underwear. Um, the color is less important, but uh, cotton breathable underwear with um, kids or older women too that are more likely to have irritation or that have irritation, uh, avoiding tight fitting clothing, tights, um, those sorts of things, having, wearing um, dresses, skirts, or looser fitting pants can be helpful in reducing symptoms, reducing friction so that you don't get irritation. Some people have you know, really no issues with that. And then they can get away with wearing anything they want. But certainly if you have vulvar irritation, that's one of the things that you can try that can be helpful for you. I tell a lot of my patients that have vulvar symptoms for whatever reason, whether it's lichen sclerosis or it's a contact dermatitis, less is more when it comes to the vulva. So uh, the less that's touching it, the more air that's flowing through, the better. And one of the things that people have found to be really helpful if they are more sensitive, more likely to have some irritation um, is the following. So if you're kind of noticing some irritation, again, you can use either a handheld shower or you can use just a bathtub filled up with lukewarm water, just kind of up to your waist. And you just rinse um, the vulva with plain water and then pat dry gently with a towel. And then if you are someone who has issues with incontinence or losing um, urine, or if you're somebody who maybe has their period and they're going to wear a pad, then another thing that can be helpful is just to apply a thin layer of petroleum jelly over the, the vulva on the outside. And that can act as a protectant to the skin so that little bits of urine or moisture or blood um, or discharge don't dry and get on the skin and irritate it. And then uh, if people are having that irritation, then I have them do it twice a day. So in the morning when they get up and then again at night before they go to bed. And then at bed, um, if they're having irritation, if they can wear, you know, like a nightgown or a long t-shirt or something that allows airflow, um, that can be really helpful too. Um, you just mentioned... Uh, pads, and that's such an excellent question for people who menstruate and who prefer to use pads. Um, if, especially if they're prone to a little bit of irritation, like what are your what are your tips for that stretch of time? Yeah, so the things that you put up in contact with the vulva can definitely cause problems. And you want to be careful when you're picking a pad. It's sort of similar to picking a soap, actually, that you want something really simple. So 100% cotton, plain pads, pads that don't have any sort of scent are the best. And there are some people that really just cannot wear a pad, that it irritates the skin to have something up against it. If you're like that, you can either try changing it more frequently. That might help. Or you can try other types of menstrual management. You can use, um, there's menstrual cups that you can use that can be helpful, actually. They're reusable uh, and tend to be pretty comfortable for people. Tampons can be actually sometimes helpful because they're inside and not on the outside causing irritation. Um, so, you know, you just have to know your body. If you're somebody who doesn't react to any of those things, then that's fine. Then you use whatever you're comfortable with. But there are some people that really their skin is just too sensitive and they can't use pads. 
The other thing to be mindful of, you had asked me before about underwear. In addition to the underwear, also what you wash your underwear in can make a difference. So if you use 100% cotton underwear, you're still having irritation. You might want to think about the detergents because you can get little bits of detergents that are left on your underwear that can be irritating. Um, so using a gentle detergent, you want to avoid dryer sheets or fabric softener because those can also leave chemicals on your undergarments. And even if they don't bother the rest of your body, the rest of that skin is a little bit less sensitive than the skin in the vulva. And so you may have just a localized reaction there as opposed to elsewhere uh, if you're using those products. You know, that just made me kind of wonder, and I don't know if we've addressed this yet, um, why vulvar skin can be more sensitive, is a little bit more sensitive than just sort of like my arm skin or my hand skin. What makes that part of our bodies a little bit different? Yeah, and it depends person to person, um, but typically it tends to be the stage in life that you're in. So uh, it's the estrogen that supplies the skin there that helps create these protective barriers. Um, and if you are somebody who has less estrogen for whatever reason, it could be treatments for cancer. It could be um, that you are after menopause and your ovaries are no longer producing estrogen. Uh, it could be due to um, you not having gone, you're a child, you haven't gone through um, puberty yet. There's less estrogen to that tissue. And so whenever that happens, the skin is more fragile and more susceptible uh, to irritation. But there are some people who, you know, their vulva is, you know, just as tough as their arm. <laughs> it isn't everybody, but in general, it tends to be an area that's a little bit more sensitive, and particularly at those times in your life. I feel like thus far, we've kind of been assuming like a normal health, a fairly um, typical condition. But I'm wondering if there are any... Um, common vulvar issues or conditions that people might have? Sure. Uh, and really, especially for me, when people come in with vulvar concerns, the one of the more helpful things in figuring out what it might be is just looking at the age of the patient. So based on your age, you're more or less likely to get certain types of conditions. And a big part of that is whether or not the, the vulva and the vagina are exposed to estrogen. So children, before they go through puberty, don't have any estrogen to the tissue. And then again, once you go through menopause, you don't have any estrogen to the tissue. And estrogen really um, helps strengthen the vulva and the vagina, so to speak. So um, both children and women are more prone to irritation. The skin is more sensitive. It is a little bit more fragile. Uh, and so you will react more to irritants. Um, for example, uh, children often might get like a contact dermatitis or um, which is like a allergic reaction, basically. So maybe something we see often is like little kids that might be in bubble baths, um, then those soaps might irritate the skin and they might get a little bit of a rash or diapers are another really common thing that kids might um, get a reaction to on the vulva. And uh, women that have gone through menopause, actually, that's one of the more common things we see too, are uh, a contact dermatitis and it can be from pads. So, um, you know, as you age, you may be more likely to leak little bits of urine, have some issues with incontinence, and then you naturally might wear a pad to absorb that. But the pads uh, 
Crete often have a lot of additives that with this very sensitive thin skin can create uh, an infection or a uh, inflammatory reaction. So what kinds of signs or symptoms um, might someone experience that would kind of indicate that they have a vulvar issue or condition going on? In general, you shouldn't really notice that your vulva is there. So if you are constantly paying attention to the fact that you have a vulva, there's that's a tip that something's going on. You shouldn't have any itching. You shouldn't have any burning. You shouldn't have any pain. Discharge, which is from the vagina, not from the vulva, but discharge is very normal. This is one of the things I talk to people about a lot. People worry if they have too much discharge. And as long as the discharge doesn't smell funny and you don't have any of those other symptoms I just talked about, which are itching, burning, pain, the discharge is normal. And it's actually your body's way of keeping everything clean. It's sort of a flushing and that's very normal. And different people produce different amounts. It's kind of one of those things too. I I talk to people about some people worry about dryness. Some people worry they have too much. Uh, It's a Sometimes discharge is a little bit of the grass is greener on the other side of the fence situation where women who suffer from dryness wish they had more and women who have too much wish they had less. Uh, But really, your body is set to be healthy. And if we don't interrupt it, um, there's a large variety of what is normal. We've talked about common issues, but I'm wondering if there are things that are maybe a little less common, um, like any skin conditions or things that you see sometimes in your clinic. One of the things that I treat fairly often uh, is an autoimmune disorder called lichen sclerosis. And this can often affect um, women after menopause, but can also rarely affect children or younger women. And this is a condition that women usually come in with because they've noticed some vulvar itching. Oftentimes they've been um, self-medicating with treatment for yeast because they think they're itching. So they have yeast. So they go to the, the drugstore and they pick up a treatment for yeast or they've maybe called their doctor and been phoned in um, a prescription for yeast. And when that happens over and over again, then eventually they think, well, it's not getting better. So they come in. And what lichen sclerosis is, is your body's immune system, for reasons that we don't fully understand, start to destroy the tissue of the vulva. It targets that tissue and you um, get inflammation, scarring. Uh, There's white patches on the skin and uh, those white patches are itchy. So that's usually what people notice. And they come in and then on exam, um, we can figure out what's going on. Most of the time we can tell just by looking. Occasionally we need to take a small sample of the skin to make sure that that is what's going on. And that is a condition that is treated quite easily actually with um, topical steroids and topical ointments. Um, People usually do really well. So when they come in soon, they come in right away, then we get the best outcomes because we can get a hold of it before there's been uh, a lot of destruction of the tissue of the vulva. How common is lichen sclerosis when you kind of look at the, the general population of people with vulvas? You know, we don't know the exact prevalence or exactly how common it is. Uh, it's 
somewhere in the 5% range, but there are certain things in your history that might make you more susceptible to it. So um, if you have another autoimmune disorder, for example, uh, they tend to cluster together. So you would be more likely to have lichen sclerosis, which is also an autoimmune disorder. Or if somebody in your family has lichen sclerosis, then you also may be more likely to have it. So those would be things that you just want to be aware of. And um, if you start to notice itching, you know, then you, you want to go in and get that looked at. Whereas maybe somebody who doesn't have those things, they might be able to try the over-the-counter uh, treatments first. But, you know, if you have this predisposition, then it might lead you to want to go in sooner. The important thing about lichen sclerosis too, is one, you know, it can really be altering to your function. Um, it's irritating, it causes itching, um, but in addition, the inflammation from it can cause scarring. So um, the labia can stick together. You can actually lose the normal architecture of the vulva because of the scarring. And in severe cases, it can limit the ability to have intercourse um, or to place tampons. It can really start to obstruct the normal function of the vulva. Additionally, it's linked with um, squamous cell carcinoma or cancer of the vulva, uh, likely due to the constant inflammation and cell turnover. There's a higher rate of cancer in women who have lichen sclerosis. So it's important for people to know that and then to have an exam um, every six months to once a year uh, with a gynecologist to look and examine the vulva and make sure there's no signs that could be concerning for cancer. You know, we hadn't talked about this or thought about this at all, but that is a great reminder that vulvar cancer is a, a concern sometimes. So um, do you have things people should be on the lookout for in terms of like sort of general cancer symptoms as well? They're really similar to the symptoms for lichen sclerosis. And in general, vulvar cancer tends to present with itching and discomfort, sometimes pain, sometimes bleeding. Uh, but itching is one of the more common ways that people first notice. And the skin changes and the symptoms can be really similar to some other um, skin conditions of the vulva. So it's most important to get it checked out by a doctor and then they can determine what the next best step is. I have appreciated this conversation so much. I feel like I have learned a ton personally for myself. So it's been really, really helpful. Um, as an expert in this area, what is one thing that you wish everyone with a vulva kind of knew about their vulva? There's a couple of things. The first one we've gone over, which is the best way to take care of the vulva and to clean, which is just plain water. The other one is that everybody's vulva looks different and that one side may not look the same as the other. I have a lot of women who come in are concerned because they think their labia are too long or one is longer than the other one and it doesn't look right and they have a preconceived notion of how a vulva should look and they're not perfectly symmetric. Everybody's is different. Some people have one labia that's a little longer than the other. Some people's are, you know, shorter and none of that makes any difference. The only time it's a problem is if it's getting in the way of your function. So very rarely, and I mean very rarely, somebody can have labia that are so long that they get caught in like underwear, they get caught in a zipper that then is interfering with your function. And then, you know, then you can come in and there's things that we can do to help with that. But 
the vast majority of people's vulvas look different. They look different from one side to the other, and that's perfectly okay. As long as it's not getting in the way of your function and you going about your daily life, your vulva is perfect. On that note, that amazing, perfect note to wrap up, I just want to thank you again so much for being with us today. We've been talking with Dr. Laura Jacques on the Women's Health Cast about vulvar health. I appreciate this so much. Thank you for having me. On our next episode of the Women's Health Cast, Dr. Molly Lepic will join us to answer questions about emergency contraception, how it works, how often it's safe to use, and more. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>